can go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle with copies of the Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. If you have one at home but just left it there, you can just take it and uh, leave it behind uh, on, your, on your way out on one of the tables. Uh, if you're uh, new with us today, we make a habit of preaching through the Bible here at Hope Church. Verse by verse, word by word, line by line, chapter by chapter. And uh, because of that, every now and again, we come to some difficult passages. And John chapter 13 is, is one of those passages. We sent out a notice in our newsletter this week, you know, pray, pray for Ted. He's, he's preaching John 13. And by the way, pray for yourself because it's, it's hard to preach and it's harder to receive. And, um, you know, no, no preacher thinks, you know, you know what, I'm going to preach about Judas next week. I think that's a, you know, no one really ever does that. Um, it's not the most uplifting, uh, the, you know, the, the spiritual section of your Christian bookstore doesn't have a lot of books on Judas, right? It's, it's not really a popular kind of a topic, but it's important. Uh, it's important for us to, uh, to give attention to what happens here in John 13, the, the treachery, the betrayal, the duplicity and disloyalty, the defection and the deception, the, the stabbing in the back, the the breach of faith. A Judas, there was another disciple named Judas. It was a common name. It's just the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew uh, name that's even popular today. That's the name Judah. And Iscariot, uh, Ishkarioth, is, is, he's the man from a place called Karioth. Judah Ishkarioth, or Judas Iscariot. John 13, as we're going to see, it, this, is, this is dark. The, the title for today's message is, is a line right out of this passage of Scripture, and it was night. Jesus had, had said earlier in John 12, you know, you only have the light a little while longer. Night is coming. Darkness is coming. Be on the lookout. Don't be overcome by the darkness. And then all of a sudden, it was night. We'll pick it up in John chapter 13 and verse 18. I'm going to read down to verse 32. It says, Jesus speaking, he says, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him, 
Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, he was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And it was night. What we're going to see from this text is that when our circumstance get the darkest, that is when God's love and God's power shines the brightest. When our circumstances get the darkest, God's love and God's power shine the brightest. We're going to look at this story. We're actually going to look at it twice from two different vantage points. We're going to begin by looking at a Judas. That's going to be the hard part. And then we're going to finish by looking at Jesus. The same story, but by focusing on Judas at the beginning and then a Jesus at the end. So we'll begin with the hard part. Now here's the first point I want you to jot down today. Look at Judas and be warned. Look at Judas and be warned. Pay attention to what is happening to this disciple and be warned that these kinds of things can happen in our lives as well. Jesus had just washed his disciples' feet in the previous 17 verses. And he had promised them, he told them, you too should wash one another's feet. And he said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. But then in verse 18 he says, I am not speaking of all of you. So he promises this blessing, but only to 11 out of the 12. He says, I know whom I have chosen... But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus knew who he had chosen. And and as early as John chapter 6 verse 70, Jesus said, one of you is the devil. I chose you all, but one of you is the devil. In chapter 13 verse 10, Jesus was talking to Peter about being clean. He says, you're clean. In fact, you're all clean. But then he said, but one of you isn't. We need to look at Judas and be warned. Jesus says that that what is happening with Judas is actually a part of a scriptural fulfillment. He says, the scripture must be fulfilled in verse 18. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, what what is that talking about? Eating my bread, lifting the the heel. Well, Jesus is quoting a a passage of scripture. He's quoting Psalm uh, 40. 1 verse 9. I'll show it to you on the screen. You see, he, he quoted the last part of this verse, but the, the, verse, the whole verse says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So when Jesus is saying, the one who ate my bread, that, that, that's, like a, that's, a, that's an analogy for someone who's really close. Like we shared meals together. We spent time together. We, we broke bread together. He ate my bread. He was my close friend. But it says he, he lifted his heel against me. This, this is, a, a, this is a, a symbolic act 
displaying betrayal or treachery. Some people think it comes from, you know, the barnyard, from the farm. You know, you want to be careful walking behind an animal because if an animal lifts its heel, like, look out. But I think what's going on here is this is describing human relationships. You know, we, we say in contemporary English, we say, you know, he turned his back on me. Well, this is going a, a step further. Not only has the person turned their back, but they're also walking away. If I were to turn my back on you and walk away, as I'm walking, I would be lifting my heel. I would be, I would be betraying. I would be walking away. That's what is being fulfilled here. Now, is Psalm 41 all about Jesus? Is it one of these sort of amazing prophecies like Isaiah 53 where, where we sort of have this like word-for-word -word description of everything Jesus was about and everything they did? No, not really, actually. Psalm 41 was written by David. David had been promised that one of his offspring, one of his descendants, would one day sit on his throne and reign there forever. And that's who the Messiah is. And Jesus is that Messiah. He is a descendant of David. And all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see these, these parallels between David's life and Jesus' life. We see these similarities. Now, it's not perfect. I mean, in Psalm 41, verse 4, it, David says, Be gracious to me, for I have sinned. I mean, that's not parallel with Jesus. Jesus didn't sin. So it's, it's not an exact science. But what we see is a lot of the things that happen with David also happen with Jesus. David was a, was a, was a warrior who fought battles and won. And Jesus is a, is a warrior who fought the ultimate battle. David was a, was a king and Jesus is the, is the king of kings. David suffered and Jesus suffered and David was betrayed. That's what Psalm 41.9 is about. And Jesus was betrayed. David was betrayed by a close advisor named Ahithophel. And when there was a rebellion against David, led by one of his own sons, Ahithophel, who was part of David's cabinet or caucus, part of his, one of, the, one of the, his closest advisors, Ahithophel sided with the rebels and turned his heel against against David. And so David had that in common. This is one of these parallel moments between David and Jesus, who's called the, the son of David, who's the ultimate fulfillment of those promises. Then Jesus says in verse 19, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus here is using believing and receiving. He's, 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 he's bringing these two terms together. We often talk, when we talk about introducing people to Jesus or telling them to believe in him, we say, would you receive Jesus? That, that's where this language comes from, right here. Whoever, whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Whoever receives the one that I sent receives me, it's believing. To believe is the most important word in the Gospel of John. It appears 98 times. And it's really the thesis, the purpose of this book was written so that we would read it. And by the end, we would come to believe in, in Jesus. In verse 21, it says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And now he's going to speak plainly. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will 
one of you will betray me. One of, one of the twelve, one of you is not a true disciple. Verse 23 says, oh sorry, verse 22, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. They all looked around. Try, who on earth could it be? He, he warned them way back in chapter 6, verse 70. Did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is the devil? You would think that they'd be calculating in their mind, having, you know, a top three list. You know, using the process of elimination. Well, it's got to be, gotta be one of the... No, here, here's the thing. No one suspected Judas. Be warned... By the fact that no one suspected him. Judas was a really good actor. Some of us are really good actors. We have, we have our parents convinced. We have our our other friends, our youth leaders are, are convinced, our, our, our spouses are convinced, our grandchildren are convinced, the elders of the church are convinced, but it's just an act. Look at Judas and be warned. You can fool other people, but God will not be mocked. Jesus knew from the beginning who was with him and who wasn't. If you're playing games, it's time to stop. Look at Judas and be warned. Are you following Jesus or not? No one suspected that it was him. Everyone was speechless. Notice there's no talking. It says, verse 22, the disciples looked around at one another. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. This is, this is actually John referring to himself. This is the first time this phrase is used. The disciple who Jesus loved shows up again in chapter 19 at the cross, chapter 20 at the empty tomb. And then in chapter 1, John says, oh, by the way, the disciple who Jesus loved is me, the one writing this. So we're told that he was reclining at table at Jesus' side. And when Jesus delivers this news, it's so shocking, no one can say anything. Even Peter doesn't open his mouth. Even Peter. Verse 24, so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Peter's like, listen, if there's, if there's, a, if there's a mole among, if there's, a, if there's a, a traitor here, let's just take him outside. Let's deal with him right now. But he's not saying anything, and so he sees that, that John is seated near Jesus, and he starts motioning with his head. like Real subtle, like. And then it says, so, so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. It says here that they were reclining at table and that this, this disciple who Jesus loved was at Jesus' side and then he, was, he, he started leaning on Jesus. The King James says he was, at, he was in Jesus' bosom. 
in order to understand this, you need to know how people ate in the first century Palestine. They leaned on their left elbow like this, and they sat sort of in a circle or in a U. Peter's probably somewhere over there motioning to, to John. And John is, is eating right here, and Jesus is at, he's at Jesus' side. And then when it says when he leaned against Jesus, so his shoulder, so picture him wanting to talk to Jesus, his shoulder would have been touching Jesus' chest. Now this is being whispered, because when Judas gets up and leaves, no one knows that it, but Jesus whispered to John, it's the one that I dipped the bread in. And passed to. So John knows no one else. I mean if they knew they would have chased him out of there. So this is all happening. It's all very quiet. It's all very calculated. But culturally speaking to, to take a, a piece of bread. I mean someone get your own bread. I mean everyone's sharing. But to take a piece of bread yourself. And then to dip it. And then to pass it to someone. Was a sign of loyalty and friendship. Not only had Jesus washed the feet of the one who was going to walk out of there and betray him, his last act was a symbolic act of I love you, I trust you. So he gave it to him. Verse 27, after he had taken it, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Down in verse 30 it says, After receiving the morsel of bread, immediately he went out, and it was night. Out into the darkness. Light and darkness is a theme all throughout the Gospel of John. In John chapter 1, the light shines in the darkness, the darkness has not overcome it. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I came to deal with the darkness. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 12, Jesus' warning the light among, is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have light, lest the darkness overtake you. And it was night. Judas chose to walk out into the darkness. Look at verse 28. It says, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy what was needed for the feast or, or that he should give something to the poor. So as the disciple, Jesus had just said, one of you will betray me. Then he gives this, this symbolic expression of loyalty and love to Judas and then sends him on some sort of important errand. So the disciples are like, okay, cross Judas off the list. Now there's only 11 people who are candidates for potential betrayers. Because Judas, he's, he, he, I mean, who does Jesus trust more than Judas? Judas. He's the one who's controlling the finances. He's the one that's being sent to go get the, the necessary. He's going to the grocery store to prepare the meal. He's, he's going to feed the poor, whatever he's going to do. Clearly, again, Judas was a good actor. Judas had ministry responsibility. Judas had sat under amazing Bible teaching. I mean, does it get much better? Than actually hearing Jesus preach. 
Judas had witnessed the supernatural. He saw the feeding of the 5,000. He saw the Lord Jesus walking on the water. He saw the invalid for 30 years stand up and walk. He saw the water turn into wine. He saw all of these things, and yet it was still just play acting for him. Look at Judas and be warned. And some of you are thinking, okay, come on, Ted. I mean, I, I know I have my struggles, and we all do, but like, I, I'm nowhere near Judas. How, how, could a, how could a sermon on Judas apply to me? Well, it certainly is true that no one is going to repeat history in this way. Judas had a unique role in the story prophesied about, and God's plans and purposes were all accomplished through Judas's sin. But we need to understand Judas's sin was a sin of treachery and betrayal. And we need to be honest with ourselves and understand that every single person in this room is capable of and has a fleshly inclination towards treachery and betrayal. And so we, we, need to, we need to get at this a little bit. We need to figure out, okay, why am I like that? And I want to share with you, as we're looking at Judas and being warned, I want to share with you, where does betrayal come from? What seeds need to be planted in our lives in order to grow into Betrayal. The first one is it's it's really the only evidence that we get in terms of motivation for Judas is ambition and greed. Thirty pieces of silver, right? Less than less than the the, the, the perfume that was spent on Jesus' feet is what Judas sold all of Jesus for. It was greed. He he carried the money bag. He scooped out from it for his own purposes. Greed was part of the motivation. And here's the thing. If ambition and greed are in control in our lives, if we value reaching some certain position or acquiring some sort of possession, if we value those things more than people, we're just two or three steps away from betraying someone. Our heel is already halfway up. On a coworker, on a friend, on a, on, a, on a customer or a client. If ambition or greed is in our lives, watch out. Be warned. Here's the second one. Jealousy and envy. Jealousy and envy. If we can't look at the successes of other people... And simply be happy for them. But have to calculate in our minds or fantasize about how that might all unravel for them. And in a sudden turn of events work out for us. If that is what is running through our minds on a regular basis. When we think about our family. When we think about our friends. When we think about other people at work or our neighbors. We betray people that we're jealous of. We betray people that we're envious of. We're just a few steps away from treachery. And then thirdly, the, the people-pleasing and the fear of man. 
if we allow people pleasing in the fear of man to dictate how we live our lives, we are so close to betrayal. Your, your close friends with friend A and close friends with friend B. Friend B also has friend C and D and E and F is really nice and G and H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P. They all like friend B. But you're, you know, you're friends with friend A. But then all of a sudden, friend B doesn't like friend A anymore. And friend B gets all the other alphabet friends to turn against friend A. And you got to decide, what are you going to do? Are you going to go with the people-pleasing or the fear of man? Because you're afraid that if you try to stand up for friend A, they're all going to turn on you too. Fear of man, people-pleasing. Listen, you're just one step away from lifting up your heel towards that friend. See, we all, we all need to understand that there's, there's a Judas inside of all of us. And, and whether it's ambition and greed, whether it's envy and jealousy, whether it's fear of man and people pleasing, listen, at the end of the day, all, the thing that all three of these things have in common is the self. Greed, how do I get this for myself? Ambition, how do, how do I achieve something for myself? Jealousy and envy, why do they have it and I can't have that for myself? Fear of man and people pleasing, well, I'm just trying to protect myself, so I've got to position myself so that I can be protected myself. Here's the thing. Here's the warning. Be warned. If you live for yourself, you will soon be living for Satan. Verse 17. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. If you live for yourself, listen, believe me, you're not actually living for yourself. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of this world that Jesus has come to, uh, to cast out. Don't, don't believe in the delusion of self-autonomy. It doesn't exist. You live for yourself, you're living for Satan. Look at Judas and be warned. He, he went out into the night, into the darkness... Look at what Jesus said about darkness in John chapter 3. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. If your life right now is being governed by selfishness and greed and ambition or jealousy and envy or people-pleasing and fear of man, listen, bring it to the light. Bring it to the light of Jesus Christ. Confess it to him. Confess it to brothers and sisters in Christ that you can trust. Do not go out deeper into the darkness. Run to the light. Look at Judas and be warned. So we've looked at Judas now I want to look at Jesus. Show by clap of hands if you're ready to look at Jesus, all right? Okay. I mean, all week long I've been with, I've been with Judas. I mean, it's, it's, been a, it's been a rough week. I, at lunch in the staff meeting, or, or, or at, we're having lunch as a staff, and then I, I was sort of joking, I, you know, I need to, well, I better go back and spend some time with Judas. And then Jameson kind of perked up and said, don't we have a 2 o'clock meeting later this afternoon? I was like, no, no, this not... Not what I meant, man. It's a, it's a sermon thing, not a personal thing. 
So we look at Judas and we must be warned. And then we look at Jesus, jot this down, and we worship. Look at Jesus and worship. Go back to uh, verse 19. Jesus says, I am telling you this now before it takes place. Before it takes place. I'm telling you this now before it takes place. That when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Here's the first reason we can worship Jesus. He knows the future. He knows the future. He says, I'm telling you this before it takes place. And then he gives a reason. I'm telling you this because I am he. Now the English translators have inserted the word he to make that sentence a lot less awkward. Because in the Greek it reads like this. I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place you may believe that I am and, and then it just ends. I, I am, I, you are who? You are, you are what? Animal, mineral, you know, what, 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 what game are we playing here? It just says I am. Now Jesus understood how grammar works. He knew parts of speech. He knew, he knew how to construct a sentence. So he's, he's letting them know that he knows the future. And that he wants them to know that he knows the future so that they would believe. And he says, I am. Now he's been using this phrase a number of times. In John chapter 8, we studied this several weeks ago. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, and again the translators add he. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And then in John 8, 58, this was the kicker. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Am. And then at this point, the very next verse says that the, the people picked up stones to try to throw at him because they thought he was committing blasphemy. You see, that phrase, I am, that's going back to the burning bush in the days of Moses when God appeared and he, and he spoke his personal name and he said, I am, I am that I am. It's a YHWH, the Tetragrammaton, a Jehovah, a God's personal name, whatever you want to call it. Jesus is saying here, listen, I'm telling you, I'm predicting the future because here's the thing. Normal people don't know the future. If we all knew the future, we'd all be playing pro-line every night and making millions. Normal people don't know the future. Jesus is saying, I'm not a normal person. I am. Get the hint. I'm telling you the future so that you would know that I am. He's saying that I am God. And look at the, keep looking at the context. Verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. If you receive Jesus, it's the same as receiving the one who sent him. Why is that? Because he is equal with the one who sent him. He is God in the flesh. And he proves... That he is God by predicting the future. Now there's a school of thought called open theism that, that teaches that God doesn't know the future. That, that somehow he's sort of surprised and, and looking forward to seeing how things turn out. What? John 13, Jesus, he predicts the future and then he says, here's why I'm predicting the future. 
to show you that I'm God. That's, that's what God does. We, we don't worship a God who's ignorant about how things will turn out. He knows the future. So we worship him for that reason. Do you believe in a God who knows the future? Jesus says, I'm telling you these things so that you would believe. Do you believe? Secondly, he is in control. He is in control. Look back at verse 27. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said, what you are going to do, do quickly. Satan has entered into Judas Iscariot. This is as close as we could possibly get to, you know, the, the phrase we often use, evil incarnate, right? This is, this is as bad as it could possibly be. Satan has entered into Judas. Now, what would we expect here? If Satan is now in charge of Judas, he's oppressing Judas, he is... He has, he has taken over Judas' thoughts and desires and words and actions. Now what would you expect? Some sort of epic battle between good and evil and light and darkness? Would you expect Satan to somehow hurl insults at Jesus? Jesus? Or would you expect Judas to like lunge at him and try to attack him or something like that? What happens when Satan takes over Judas? What does Judas do? Judas does what Jesus tells him to do, that's what. Because this, this world is not set up with some sort of light versus darkness, yin versus yang, dark side of the forest, light side of the That's not how it works. Jesus is in control. Yes, yes, Satan is a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to divine, but he is on a tight leash. I mean, it's right there. Jesus is bossing Satan around. What you're going to do, go and do it quickly. Satan does not do anything without getting a permission form signed first. Jesus is in control. And we need to understand that because there are things that come into our lives where we feel like we're being attacked, attacked by the flesh on the inside, the world on the outside, the, the enemy, uh, the Satan in our, uh, in our lives all around us. We feel like we are under attack. We feel like we don't, listen, we need to understand God is always in control. Nothing that is happening to us is ever outside of his loving sovereignty in our lives. And in verse 30 it says, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. And then look at what happens in verse 31. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. And God is glorified in him. God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him. At, well, that's a lot of glorified. Glorified, glorified. Five times in two verses. So the, the point is that Jesus is going to get glorified. But here's the really interesting thing. Look at, how he, look at how he premises it in verse 31. He says, now. Now that it's darker than ever. Now that it's night. Now that I'm being betrayed. Now I'm going to be glorified. Why? Because in Judas' betrayal, that leads to Jesus' arrest, which leads to Jesus' trial. 
which leads to him being flogged and, and beaten and mocked and wearing a crown of thorns and then nailed to two pieces of wood and then lifted up on a cross and then mocked and spat at and then he suffocates to death and then says it is finished. What is finished? Paying the penalty that all of us deserve for our sin, for our betrayal, for our treachery, for our ambition and greed and our envy and jealousy, our fear of man and people pleasing. He suffered and died for all of those things. It was when it got darkest that he was glorified. When our circumstances are the darkest, that's when the light of God's love and God's power shines the brightest. If it's true in John 13, it's true where you live. This is a principle that we can live by. When the doctor calls you back to review those seemingly routine tests and they want you there this afternoon. When your teenager slams their bedroom door in your face. When you suddenly lose your job. When you and your spouse seem miles apart. When you have more bills than you have Money, when you feel so depressed you can't get out of bed. When you don't feel caught between friend A and friend B, you are friend A. And everyone is ganging up on you at school. When you give in to that besetting sin, that temptation, again and again. When your close friend or colleague betrays you. When it's suddenly night. I'm just just struck by that phrase in verse 30. And it was night. It was as though, you know, they went into the upper room and the sun was still shining. And they're having a great time. And Jesus is washing their feet. And they're so amazed at his servant leadership. And then, you know, past the bread, Judas goes out. They look out there. Oh my goodness, it's dark outside. Living in the part of the world where, where we live in, you know, even though daylight savings buys us a little bit of time, it's, it's going to come, isn't it, right? Where you, you're working away, you're looking out the window, and then it just seems by the time you get down the elevator or, or out to the parking lot and into your car, all of a sudden it's pitch black. And the darkness, it just sneaks up on us, doesn't it? And we can't always be prepared. The disciples were not prepared. They're so perplexed by this idea. Who would betray? Obviously it's not Judas. When Judas reemerges, they're like, oh my goodness, it was him? And it was night. It was dark. These things just seemed to come out of nowhere. So what do we do in those situations? Well, we, we worship Jesus. Because he knows the future. And he is in control. And then thirdly, that he will be glorified. So whatever is happening to us, we can know. We might be so shocked. We might be so disoriented because this was the last thing that we were expecting to happen to us. But Jesus is never surprised. He knew it was coming. He was actually preparing you. Lovingly getting you ready and preparing you to step into the night. He knows the future. Secondly, he is in control. That no matter what is happening to you is not outside of his sovereignty. We trust in these things. And that he will be glorified. 
if we're wondering, what is the purpose behind the, plan, the, behind the pain? What, where is the meaning of this mess that I am in? We can always, we might not always understand, but we can look at the cross, we can look at what happened in John 13, and we can say that if Jesus was glorified in that darkest hour, then I can trust that Jesus will be glorified in my dark night as well. So we look at Judas and we're warned, but listen, we look at Jesus and we worship. This, this is how, this is how, how we trust the Lord when all of a sudden it was night. When the darkness seems to sneak up on us, we worship we trust that he knows the future. We believe that he is in control. And we pray that somehow he would be glorified in what we're going through. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you by your spirit and we come in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who was betrayed by Judas. The one who broke bread and, and dipped it and gave it to him. The one who washed Judas' feet. We worship our Savior, Jesus Christ. And whatever we may be facing, Lord, I pray that we would be able to worship you. That we would be able to look to you and trust in you and believe in you and follow you. And Lord, I pray that whatever we are facing, God, that we would be resolved, that you would be glorified in it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.